0: In Frank Miller's graphic novel, 300, one of the characters says, There's no room for softness, not in Sparta, no place for weakness. Only the hard and strong may call themselves Spartans. Only the hard, only the strong. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowich, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar, the college's weekly podcast about the great books and the liberal arts. Ancient Sparta in the public imagination has long been an armed camp. It's a city organized like an army to train boys to be soldiers and all women to be hard as nails. And Spartans, we're told, always fight to the death as they did at Thermopylae. Dr. Stephen Hotkinson begs to differ. Dr. Hodkinson is Emeritus Professor of Ancient History at the University of Nottingham in England. He is co-organizer of the International Sparta Seminar and founder of the University of Nottingham's Center for Spartan and Peloponnesian Studies. And in 2010, he was awarded Honorary Citizenship in Modern Sparta for his contributions to Spartan history. He is also the father of Wyoming Catholic College Professor Christopher Hodkinson, Dr. Hodkinson was kind enough to take a break from his visit with Christopher and Tina and his five grandsons here in Lander to tell us more about Sparta. Dr. Hodkinson, you talk about the Mirage of Sparta. What is the Mirage of Sparta?
1: Well, there's both an ancient and a modern mirage. Uh, The ancient mirage comes from the fact that none of our sources for the classical period, that is the fifth and fourth centuries B, are Spartan sources. Um, The evidence we have for Sparta comes from outsiders, and in the classical period, it comes primarily from Athenians, and the Athenians were often Sparta's uh, political and imperial rivals. And then later on, it comes from um, sources who are uh, um, affected by the moralising of the Spartan system. Mm. So that um, in the classical period, Athenian sources tend to give a rather negative uh, impression of of the Spartans. And then in the Hellenistic and um, Roman imperial periods that followed, philosophers often took up aspects of Spartan life and treated them as moral uh, ideals. And in the process, invented or exaggerated um, historical Spartan customs.
0: And what, what did that mirage look like? What did they believe?
1: The mirage, by the time you get it in the writings of Plutarch, who's one of our key sources writing around uh, AD 100, is that Sparta is a very um, simple society whose citizens uh, abdure uh, luxury and other forms of wealth, uh, and that they shared equal property holdings and that their life w- was based upon uh, honor and, and justice.
0: Mm-hmm. With a heavy emphasis on war.
1: Um, interestingly, Plutarch um, de-emphasizes the Spartans' uh, emphasis on war, but earlier writers um, back in the classical period, uh, such as um, Plato and Aristotle, uh, they do emphasize uh, Sparta's focus on war. Their, writing in the context of Sparta's imperial decline, and their explanation for why Sparta declined was that they were very good at uh, conquering other states, but um, because they devoted too much time to war, um, they were less good at administering and maintaining their empire.
0: Beginning with ancient Athens, the Mirage has been regularly reinforced for cultural and political purposes. Tell us a little bit about that history. I thought that was fascinating.
1: Clearly in antiquity, Athenian or Athenian base writers uh, have an interest in portraying Sparta as the the negative other in contrast to uh, democratic Athens. When we move into the modern period, there's an interesting contrast between the Renaissance and early modern thinking up to around the 18th century and thinking over the last 200 plus years. In the Renaissance and early modern Europe, Sparta was often viewed as an ideal ancient polity that had a, a well good balance of military and civic elements, that good arms and good laws, in Machiavelli's words, went together. Um, this image changed around the time of the American and French revolutions, at, towards the end of the 18th century, um, when um, Sparta's alleged militarism seemed uh, out of place um, in a um, a commercial, increasingly democratising society. So from that point onwards, um, Sparta became linked with uh, modern militaristic regimes like uh, Prussia uh, and Imperial uh, Germany. And indeed, the Nazis in particular believed that they had um, a racial identification with the Spartans, the Germans were the, the racial descendants of, um, of the Spartans, and they based many of their p- policies upon a rather distorted conception of what uh, ancient Sparta was like. And the fact that the Nazis adopted Sparta um, meant that the Western allies, Britain, France, uh, United States, um, adopted a, a negative view of Sparta, and uh, th- th- this continued uh, right up to around the, the turn of the 20th uh, uh, or 21st centuries. Um, and then in the last 20 years, with, the, the, um, with Frank Miller's uh, graphic novel turned into Zack Snyder's film 300 in 2006, um, the far right has adopted Sparta rather like the Nazis did, as a positive model, a, a warrior society uh, which can be used to, um, to defend uh, various far-right ideas.
0: I thought it was interesting as I was preparing for this podcast, I, I've never seen the movie 300 or the graphic novel, but I watched a little bit of it, a trailer actually, to sell the DVDs. And uh, Frank Miller was on and he briefly said, quote, I've never been accused of realism, close quote, (laughs) which I thought was, (laughs) if that's where we're getting our information, well, maybe it's not a good idea. Well, all right, let's move on from the uh, mirage of Sparta to the real Sparta, beginning with this idea that it was primarily a very simple kind of armed camp, everything in common, and warrior sort of culture. What was the real Sparta like?
1: Well, there are certain elements of truth in the picture you've just described. Um, Fundamentally, um, the Spartans created a society in which they tried to mask the vast differences of wealth between different Spartans. Unlike in other Greek city-states where rich and poor citizens live very different lifestyles, the Spartans, in order to reconcile their internal differences, devised a system whereby, although there were vast differences of wealth between citizens, both rich and poor citizens tried to live a common lifestyle which involved um, a a common public education from age seven onwards. Every boy, rich or poor, went through the same public education system. And then in adulthood, they all uh, joined the army and they also dined every evening in a a common mess, the Greek word is On, um, with a small group of comrades, perhaps 15 or so, uh, and they would dine with those comrades every evening for the rest of their lives, except when some public duty or, or, or other business sort of uh, detained
0: them. And the education, the public education was mostly physical fitness, wasn't
1: Yes, you're right. Um, the sources provide most information about the public education, which, um, as you rightly say, is focused mainly on uh, physical uh, development. The source, there was also a private element of education, which the sources don't mention because it's, it's typical of most Greek states, and the sources like to focus on the exotic or the unusual. Um, And this private education um, provided the boys with basic literacy and training in in music and in in, in pithy speech. You may may know that the Spartan speech is often called laconic uh, because of of its brevity. And so the public physical education and the private uh, elementary, you you might call the three R's education, went side by side.
0: Now tell us about family life in Sparta. Men, women, marriage, children, that had some oddities to it as well.
1: Um, it did indeed. The standard picture of Sparta rather ignores the family. It gives the impression that Spartan boys from seven onwards would, would sleep outside their families in, in the sort of along with their peers. And that um, that would stay until the young men were age 30 before they'd returned to their homes. And the picture is even after age 30, they would spend a lot of their time um, outdoors away from their family. Now, that again, there's always a grain of truth in, in some of these uh, ideas, but the family remained very, very important. Um, I mentioned earlier that there were vast differences of wealth and these differences of wealth continued to be important because of one key fact that to be a member of these common messes you had to provide a monthly contribution of foodstuffs from your estates and if you failed to do so you dropped out of the messes and you also ceased to be a full citizen you became an inferior so maintaining your family estates uh, ensuring that you had children to succeed you but not many not too many children because those children would share the estates uh, among them and therefore, if you had too many surviving children, Um, each would be comparatively much poorer and therefore might have difficulty maintaining their contributions to the common messes. So um, there was a constant sort of concern with um, supervising your your private estates. Um, The Spartans had a large body of helot slaves who worked their estates, and so supervising the work of your slaves um, was a major preoccupation. Um, but also the issue of reproduction. Um, women's lives were focused on reproduction. The girls were given physical outdoor training, in contrast to girls in other states, to make them um, prepare them physically for motherhood. So it was important to, um, to beget children. Men who failed to do so were regarded with dishonour. But if you have too many children, as I mentioned earlier, you risk uh, undermining your your family's position. And therefore, we have evidence for certain anthropologically tested but unusual uh, marriage practices. One of these is the practice of what anthropologists called Adelphic polyandry, where several brothers would share a single wife, and that will be a way of limiting the number of children that the brothers collectively ha- had, and there was also a practice whereby a man who didn't want to formally marry could approach another man whose wife had already borne a certain number of fine children, and he could request to uh, to procreate with her so that he could have uh, children of his own. And Zelophan who as a contemporary source, you knew Spotted very well, explains that the purpose was that the original husband could uh, cease begetting children when he thought he had enough uh, and didn't want any more, and his friend could could then have um, whatever children he was able to beget. And Zernatham also says that the women were often interested in this arrangement because they would thereby gain control over two households, their original husband and, and, and their second uh, partner. And there's a further addition uh, to this, we are told by one source, uh, uh, um, the Jewish scholar Philo, that the Spartans permitted marriage between what anthropologists call uterine half siblings In other words, children, who have different fathers but come from the same mother. And so if you think about this this, um, arrangement I've just described, whereby two men beget children by a single woman, the the children of those two men could then intermarry in the next generation. um, And that would solidify the the marriage alliance, but also it would concentrate the property too, so that uh, the property of the the two families would, would be preserved and they'd be able to retain their, their, uh, their citizen status.
0: What about the warrior side of the Spartans? And we know, many of us know the story about Thermopylae the, and there were in fact uh, 300 Spartans who stopped the Persian Empire.
1: Yes, you're right. Um, it's certainly true. The, the Spartans uh, had a very effective army and um, at Thermopylae, 300 Spartans uh, sacrificed their lives to defend a narrow pass against a vastly superior Persian army. Um, We mustn't forget, and it it is often forgotten, that the Spartans didn't die alone. They had allies from certain other Greek states, from Thespiae and Thebes, who also died alongside them. And also within their own society, that there were other soldiers too, a group called the Perioikoi, who were free but non-Spartans. Um, they fought and died alongside the Spartans at Thermopylae, and so did the helot slave attendants of the Spartans, who, who every Spartan would have a helot attendant to um, help carry his uh, uh, his baggage and so on. And the helots also died alongside the Spartans. So it wasn't just the Spartans. Now. The key to the Spartan effectiveness in war was mainly their um, very strong command structure. They had an unusually stratified command structure for a Greek army, more like a modern army, whereby there were were several um, layers of officers commanding other officers. Whereas most Greek armies um, had a much more flat structure um, uh, and therefore were, were far less efficient in conveying orders and putting them into practice. Most Greek armies were amateur, part-time armies, and so were the Spartans. Um, They had many other things to occupy their time, but they were just that bit better organised. And the one thing they did practise was a a simple but effective drill, whereby they could manoeuvre both before and during battle without getting into disorder, which often happened to other Greek armies. So there's no evidence that the Spartans spent all their time training. They, they spent very little time um, on dedicated weapon schools or group combat. But by focusing upon an elementary drill and having an effective command structure, they were just that bit better than most other amateur Greek armies.
0: What could our listeners read in order to learn more?
1: If you're interested in reading uh, the ancient sources, um, I would start with the works of the man I mentioned earlier. Uh, at Xenophon, he wrote two works on, um, well, several works on Sparta, but I've mentioned two in particular. Um, one is a work called the uh, the Politeia of the Lacedaemonians. Lacedaemonians is the the Spartans' official designation, which is a brief account of Spartan life, and then. He has a historical work uh, called The Hellenica, which covers uh, Greek history between 411 and 362 BC, in which the Spartans are prominent, and we get a lot of insights into Spartan action, but also Spartan internal life in those. I would also recommend Aristotle's Politics, book two, chapter nine, in which he uh, does a hatchet job on, on the ideal of Sparta, um, and sometimes goes over the top, but he also contains a number of valid criticisms that are good counterweights to the, the Spartan mirage. Among modern works, um, read uh, I would f- uh, recommend recent works because there's been a big revision of ideas about Sparta in the last generation. So in recent years, um, there's been a book by a man called Andrew Baylis called *The Spartans*, published by Oxford University Press, published in I think 2020, and also. Um, that's a, an account of Spartan life. And then if you want to know the history of Sparta, there's a book published in 2010 by Nigel Kennel uh, called Spartans, A New History, which um, takes you through Spartan history, incorporating the new research. Uh, that was published by, by, um, by Wiley Blackwell.
0: Good. Well, and I'll also put uh, links on our website to uh, the articles that you've written. So,
1: um, yes, I've written a number of articles. Uh, I've not tried to recommend them because most of them are uh, specialist articles, which most of the listeners uh, may not want to um, delve into in depth. Uh, but I, w- I would recommend, um, that if you do want to, I have an academia.edu page where, where most of my articles can be downloaded as PDFs. Um, I'd also um, recommend for uh, somewhat lighter reading a, uh, a graphic novel by a British um, author called Kieran Gillen, uh, G-I-L-L-E-N, which is called Three, and he wrote that as a, a counterweight to Frank Miller's 300. This is Sparta from the point of view of their helot slaves. The, the three are, are three helots, and it uh, depicts their struggles against their Spartan masters Um, I had the honour of being the historical consultant to that graphic novel and um, uh, Gillen did a lot of serious historical research on his own uh, and also took my advice on certain points. So it is, among fictional works, probably the most accurate account of Spartan life.
0: Well, thank you for your time. Well, thank
1: you very much, Jim, and it's been my honour and pleasure.
0: In a recent email, Wyoming Catholic College President Glenn Arbery wrote, quote, our most recent fall appeal letter, which many of you have received by now, lays out some of the pressing challenges we face and underscores the importance of our work. The challenges are stiff in this economy and we are grateful that a benefactor has stepped forward with a promise to match everything the college raises through this appeal dollar for dollar up to $125,000, quote. If you believe in the mission of our college and benefit from our podcasts, our distance learning courses, or our annual adult program, the Wyoming School of Catholic Thought, please consider a gift to the college today, a gift that will be doubled. You can give online at wyomingcatholic.edu support slash give. That's wyomingcatholiccollege.edu Slash support slash give. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.